0: The new episode of Israelities podcast, live from Jerusalem. Welcome everybody to the brand new episode of Israelities. I'm still here, Stefano Guaglione, your host, and I'm live in Jerusalem and from Jerusalem. So today we have a brand new topic, and Pastor Chad is gonna be here. Welcome, Pastor Chad, again. Yeah, thank you for your back. time. Now, um, I receive a lot of um, questions online and on my personal WhatsApp about what's the Bible saying about the war? Uh, we all know what happened on the 7th of October and from the 7th of October, we are like more than 100 days into this horrible horrific war. Many people are dying. But what the Bible says about the war? What the Two Testaments says about the war, the First Testament and the Second Testament? Is the Bible um, saying that the war is permissible? It's something that we can do, that we can fight uh, against enemies? So tell us more about your understanding, and more importantly than your understanding, the biblical
1: perspective of the war. Right. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's remember that God created man, woman, animals, the earth, he created it good, he created it with a plan and a destiny, and that plan and destiny did not include war. Um, War became a result of sin in man's heart, uh, whether it was pride, or it was power, or fame, or control, or fear, even. So this is not the original intent of the world, is not to be at war with one another we might go back uh, as far as the early chapters of Genesis, where, you know, what is one of the earliest sins that we see is we we see not only the Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we see from uh, the brothers, Cain and Abel. And of course, you see Cain out of jealousy that God did not receive his sacrifice the same as his brother Abel. Cain kills Abel, God judges Cain for that action of violence and murder. Um, There's nothing written down in the Torah yet. Torah doesn't exist yet at that point, and yet he was still judged for that. Why can he be judged? Because he violated the universal moral code of knowing right and wrong, because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which made us responsible for knowing right and wrong. So what we can first say about war, violence, murder, is it is in its bedrock form, it is a violation of the universal moral code of God. It's in the fabric of our beings created in God's image to know that that is wrong. But when you progress in the rest of the scriptures, you'll get to things like Genesis chapter 9, where Noah comes out of the ark, his family is safe, there's the rainbow in the sky he sacrifices to the Lord. But in that passage, it gives the Noahide laws it gives four different laws that noah must keep now in addition to everything else he's learned from his ancestors and what the universal moral code would have taught him and that is one of them is uh, the prohibition of of murder and bloodshed and violence so again very early on we have a second illustration of we should not be part of that If you continue to move forward, then you're going to finally end up in the Torah in the book of Exodus chapter 20, and you're going to get to the famous Ten Commandments, and it's going to tell you, do not murder. It's going to say, lo tirzach, but tirzach here is not a general word for kill, it is a specific word for murder. So you have to remember the context there, is it's murder becomes the, the violation of God's commandment. If you were to pro- progress even further and you get into the wars of Israel, God himself is going to command you to kill people. You being Moses, Joshua, the army, whatever. And in a few minutes, maybe we'll, we'll circle back to that about the difference. But what we understand from a word like, lo do not murder, versus is to kill in Hebrew. There's a difference between murdering and killing. Sometimes God commands it. And so that puts us in the correct Avenue of understanding um, the 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 transaction versus the the violation of the covenant of God, the commandments of God, when you murder someone. So very early on, we have lots of examples of God doesn't want war, God doesn't want murder, God doesn't want violence, God doesn't want killing. These are His children. That's the baseline. But then we also start to learn that there are because of sin being introduced to the world, there become Appropriate areas where killing is allowed in the in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament.
0: I'm going to stop you here um, on the Book of Exodus. Um, you just mentioned Exodus chapter twenty. Before chapter twenty is like the people of Israel are still in Egypt, and they are coming out. But before going out of Egypt, God is killing all the firstborn in Egypt. Right. Right. Um. Is this principle applicable to God himself or not? Like the killing and the murdering, do we blame God that the firstborn have been dying in in, in Egypt or not? So is it applicable only to humankind or
1: also to God? Well, of course, God is life giver. The Bible tells us it it is his prerogative to give life and to take life. So uh, we're not in any position to judge God or his motives or his actions. God being a perfect holy God uh, and righteous, perfect in justice, will never uh, apply an action like killing or murder if it doesn't have a moral baseline of why he's doing it and a good reason. So when we get to the Exodus story, of course, this is the last straw, this is the last barrier to the children of Israel being released from slavery in Egypt to become the covenant nation that God has already proclaimed they would become and Pharaoh's stubbornness was holding them in Egypt and it was almost like God's hand was forced that if you're not listening to the other nine plagues you're not listening to my power and my miracles you're going to force me to go to this extra mile this extra step and I didn't want to have to do this but you're forcing me to do it so God you know he gives the commandment of the 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 angel to go throughout uh, the land of Egypt where there's not blood on the door, uh, then they're not safe. And anybody that wasn't covered by the blood then is killed uh, as a firstborn.
0: Now, from the book of Exodus, we move to the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is that kind of book where we read God saying to Joshua, go and kill everybody, like children, women. Are we talking about the same God between the Testament is the God of the Old Testament like more permissible on war and killing people because of the context? And then I'm going to read later some verses in, in the B'chadasha, in, in, in what is called in the New Testament or the Second Testament. So how can we balance this concept of war between God speaking to Joshua and then Yeshua afterwards saying other things?
1: Well, of course, when you get to the, the book of Joshua and we are starting to see the Jewish people, come out of Egypt, come out of the desert, they're crossing the Jordan, they're coming into the promised land, by that point, this is God's commandment for them. So they have to obey, and sometimes the commandment is a harsh commandment that they need to follow through on, which is cleanse the land, uh, take away these people groups, kill this people group. Um, But one one thing it is important to understand in that context is we are, at that moment, we are in the establishment phase of the covenant nation. Right? It's not something that we get a commandment forever and ever and ever and ever. You can just take the Israeli army and go kill everybody. That's not the commandment. The commandment is very defined. And if we try to take that out of context, like I've heard some people do in the modern age, is, well, if God allows killing over here, then he allows killing over here. What a horrible God. But that's not what he did. That's out of context. That's not the truth. The truth is within defined boundaries and for a defined period of time, God was establishing the foundations of his covenant nation, so that that nation could be a blessing to the rest of the world as an example of the kingdom of God principles on earth, and so that the Messiah who would save everyone would be born through that people group. So it's a very defined purpose, and it's a very defined area, and it's a defined period of time for which we find the Israelites being given the permission, or even the commandment, to kill. But even when we're talking about those commandments, we're not speaking of murdering individuals we're speaking of an army, we're speaking of warfare, Uh, we're speaking of the corporate dynamic. And Stefano, you and I uh, have talked about this uh, previously, that there's a difference in God's mind of the murder of an individual innocent person versus the conflict that happens in a corporate military environment. And if we are not careful as New Covenant believers, we get lazy with our theology and our study, and we start to pretend that those are the same things, and in fact, they're not the same things. And of course, that's gonna apply to even the modern day, when we're dealing with war, even right now in Israel.
0: Can we say also that the context in which the Book of Joshua takes place is different than the Romano-Greek context in which the New Testament takes place?
1: Well, you're dealing with, first of all, here's a problem that we have to solve is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? And we, of course, say, absolutely. is the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. So if I have a wrong theology that the God of the Old Testament did things one way, and the God of the New Testament does them a completely different way, almost like there was an error somehow in the Old Testament, then I have another problem, because Yeshua says, I'm not different, I'm the same. And if I were to jump to the book of Revelation, how are we going to see Yeshua return? Is he a a kind, soft-hearted, gentle, passive Savior that's about to be crucified on the tree again? No. He comes on a white horse with a sword in his hand, fire in his eyes, leading the armies of heaven into battle, into war. So that definition needs to be adjusted now, because that version of Yeshua looks a lot like the Old Testament version that we get uh, of God. So there's not an inconsistency. It's the the context, it's where, where is it supposed to be applied? So if we get to the teachings of Messiah himself, you're going to hear lots of things that talk about don't murder, don't have violence, don't even hate in your heart. But what's happened Let here is... Let me read. Yeah, what's happened here is you, you have an individual thing versus a corporate thing, and I know you want to yeah, talk about that.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that. I want to read first for people that are watching and listening to us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 43 and verse 44 that says you have heard that it will say you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so many people are saying now why are we like even in thinking about a war that is permissible in the bible when yeshua actually says you need to love your enemy and that's where one of in my opinion one of the best points for this podcast are coming up
1: now Pastor Chad, so if you can explain that yeah sure so again let's go back to how someone heard the gospel itself i think you got to start at foundations if you heard the kingdom of god and salvation in yeshua is a personal salvation for you and you alone and all that matters is you and you 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 becomes the center of that message then you have trouble balancing all that God is through the individual commandments and the corporate commandments. You don't understand the difference because you've been told that this is an individual gospel. But the correct gospel is an individual invitation to join the corporate family of God. It has an individual component and it has a corporate component. The laws about murdering and violence have an individual component and a corporate component. But many people in today's modern Christian world, they, they may not have heard the fullness of the gospel that includes that corporate dynamic. There are plenty of laws, both Old Testament and New Testament, that are specific in what they're addressing. Are they addressing an individual? Or are they addressing the corporate dynamic of a nation and a peoplehood? And they have to be applied in proper context. So when Yeshua is saying, uh, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemy, don't hate your enemy... He's speaking specifically to an individual about an individual. Mm -hmm. He's not necessarily saying be an absolute pacifist all the time, always, in every context. Because if he was saying that, then there's a violation of Scripture. Because the Scripture is going to also tell us that if you see harm being done to someone, you must step in. If you see the innocent being taken advantage of, you have to step in. If you've seen someone being captured or taken into exile or taken hostage you have to step in and that stepping in is producing justice and that might entail war or violence or you know uh, the 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 kind of corporate dynamic that we talk about that you cannot let injustice just keep going on but that's a corporate level and i want our listeners and our viewers to understand theologically there's a there's a big difference between Individual application and intention of commandment and corporate application and intention of commandment. And I think when Yeshua is talking about love your enemies and love those that hate you, he's talking about the specifically the individual people that are in your sphere of influence for your life. He's not talking about when another country crosses your borders, invades your country, and starts killing your women and children and abusing babies and raping your women that you're supposed to passively sit by and say, Well, the New Testament says, "Love my enemies," so I can't step in and help anyone. So I'm just going to sit back passively, let my family be murdered. That is not the context of which Yeshua was talking about.
0: At the same point, we are not saying that the Bible is a book of wars. Correct. Right. Um, so, is it also important to find a balance uh, in our understanding? Like everywhere in the world. Many people are supporting Israel, but many people also are saying, speaking of like big words like genocide uh, since the 7th of October. Um, So many Christians, and let me use this word, uh, in the West also saying uh, that we are supposed to preach love and be for peace and not for war. So how would you respond to this accusation? Maybe it's a too big
1: word, but you know what I mean by it. Right. So again, we're going to go back to the destiny for which God created the earth. He didn't create it for war. War becomes a result of sin and the sin of man. But we have to then embrace that it is real, right? You can't pretend war is not real. You can't pretend there's not sin in the world. Um, And war needs to be a corporate response to produce justice when a situation of injustice has been done to innocent people. That's, that's the right biblical appropriation of war. It is not, and Israel was never allowed to, once the nation was established inside the borders of the covenant land, they were never allowed to go outside that border and start conquering other nations. That was never allowed. So they had tight restrictions on what their definition of war could be, but self-defense as a nation is, in fact, biblically allowable, Uh, And of course, we've experienced that here in Israel with our country being invaded. So as a New Covenant believer, how do I balance the two of these? I need to love my neighbor, that's the people in my life, my individuals in my life. I protect the innocent, I'm commanded to do that. I'm, I'm also commanded to promote and pursue justice when injustice is being acted upon, so I can't sit by idly and passively and let injustice keep going on i must engage in that so that gives me a little bit of a push toward hey you might have to engage in this and then on the corporate dynamic side uh, especially from the israel's history and modern history there will be times unfortunately not god's perfect will not his desire but because of sin there will be times where we might have to engage in the corporate dynamic of war in order to produce the justice the Bible commands us to produce. So, Pastor Chad, I have another question for you. What is the appropriate response to violence? We have to look again at context. Are we talking about an individual, uh, somebody promoting violence against you, uh, or against someone nearby? Are we talking about a corporate dynamic, uh, one nation invading another nation? So if we're talking about the individual side of this, um, if someone is attacking you personally, uh, you have the right to defend yourself, but you don't necessarily have the right to go back and attack the other person, because we would then move that into the classification of vengeance, right? Revenge or vengeance. And the Bible says uh, of the that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we're not trying necessarily to enact revenge on someone. We cannot even hate our enemies. We must forgive, and we must bless, and we must love our enemies. But that's, again, that's an individual context of law. But another appropriate response is if you are the eyewitness to someone else being attacked, you have a biblical commandment to step in and promote justice in that scenario. So if you sit by passively, then you have violated the Bible. Mm. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin to him. So that would be another appropriate place where you have to step in. And then on the corporate dynamic, if someone is invading, if you are being attacked, if hostages are being taken, then again, as a corporate dynamic, as, a, as an entity of a nation, you have the right, and sometimes even the, the commandment to step in and promote justice so that you can find peace. We're not talking about uh, promoting violence so that violence can forever be the answer. We're talking about stopping violence. Sometimes it takes violence to stop it because your goal is justice and peace, according to the will of God, at the end of that. So we just want to make sure, as an individual, we don't take vengeance, which is not ours. We don't take revenge either, but when someone else is being attacked, we are commanded to step in and help.
0: Very clear, thank you. Now, in these present days, we are living in the middle of a war here in Israel. What is the... um the point or what is the action that our congregation, our network, is doing responding to the needs of the Word, theologically, from a teaching point of view, so what you are preaching on, on a Sunday afternoon, but also like practically, so
1: about the need and the needy. So one of the things we wanted to do early on was to uh, address some of the theological dynamics that must be explained during such a difficult time like this, and some of it uh, was repeated today in the podcast, and some of it was uh, expanded upon in a different sermon series that our folks can find online in the archives. But we had to talk about love-hate relationships, individual versus corporate dynamics, we had to talk about war versus murder and killing, and how they're all different, both in Hebrew and in context of the Bible. So first of all, we had to give that, that theological foundation. Then we had to start talking about prophetic elements. What is Israel? What is a Jewish person? What's the covenant dynamic? What is God promised? Where are we headed? Then we also had to bring in some sensitive dynamics, a little bit of the politics involved. And when we bring in politics, we just want our listeners to understand that even though we believe in the nation of Israel and God's calling for the Jewish people, that doesn't mean we agree with every single law that's made or decisions that's made from the Israeli secular government, because this is not a country right now made up of believers right? We are a gross minority here. We're less than one-fifth of one percent, the Messianic believers. So this helps us to balance everything in the teaching side. But you can't just stay in the teaching, right? The book of James says, faith without works is dead. So you have to move into action. So we were able to establish the Israeli War Relief Fund that has now funded over 90 projects, anywhere from hot meals to uh, boxes of food to helping displaced families whose houses were bombed or uh, they were attacked and they had to get out of the north or the south and uh, we helped those displaced families help people into hotels help children with their programs and their schools helped orphanages helped people with their appliances i mean uh, we've we've refurbished bomb shelters we've we've helped soldiers we've helped non-soldiers we've helped families of soldiers we've helped both the jewish community and the arab speaking community we've helped those that were uh, coming to the hospital from gaza cuz israel oftentimes we will treat Uh, people coming from Gaza into Israel at our hospitals. We are serving them. Uh, We're serving Arab uh, orphanages, and people from the West Bank have been blessed by King of Kings. So we've tried to really put our faith into action, not only on the Israeli-Jewish side, but also on um, the side where our brothers and sisters from Gaza or Judea, Samaria are coming from. And we try to be a blessing to all those people as well.
0: And how the word impacted us as a community.
1: Well, it impacted us a lot here in Jerusalem, but not just us, all of the King of Kings congregations. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you, our listeners must remember is how many people are in the congregation membership that are soldiers, right? So Israel as a nation has mandatory military service, both male and female, and then those people, as they grow up and they're out of active duty, they're in the reserves for dozens of years. And it wasn't just our active soldiers that were on the front lines. It was all the reservists and the mothers and the fathers and the aunts and the uncles. And, and so we have a lot of soldiers that got called up. And then when a soldier gets called up, uh, the children have to go somewhere. And so sometimes they're with a spouse. But what if both spouses get called up? Then they have to go to the grandparents. And so we've seen our attendance just in a lot of our corporate worship dynamics or our classes or our prayer times. Um, that's certainly suffered, our finances have certainly suffered, just because all the people that would normally be working aren't working, they're fighting right now. The economy has suffered greatly. Uh, You're talking about, uh, I heard a stat that uh, they believe 500,000 workers are no longer working, and that is a combination of people who cannot come in from Gaza, because the borders closed, people who cannot come in from Judea, Samaria, or the West Bank area, because the Arab workers are Cannot cross the the border because the border is closed. So we're losing workers. Then we're losing the soldier workers that are in in the war. So the uh, supply chain has been broken down. Um, The economy is 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 struggling right now in a lot of ways. So we've been impacted not only by our families that are fighting, but by our uh, attendance and our finances. But all it's done, Stefano, is it's opened a new door. Just because one door uh, in this area of measurement. It may not look the best, you know, if you're trying to track attendance and say, well, that's my only measure of success, then that would be a bad way to measure it. But it did open an incredible other door through the, through the Relief Fund to help just thousands upon thousands. It's almost too many people to count now how we've helped them. Um, but we've been able to, to preach the gospel in a loving way, not in a deceptive way, but in a way that we're helping uh, be Yeshua's hands and feet on the ground to everybody that we can encounter, and we do that in the name of the love of Yeshua. And so that, that was a new door that we're excited about.
0: It's a great testimony. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Chad, for your clarity on a the theological side, but also giving us a great contemporary insight of what is happening here. Well, for all of you watching and listening, uh, I'm going to tell you subscribe to our uh, page on our channel Please continue to support us. And let me take this uh, opportunity to thank all of you that have been supporting us and donating uh, for the World Relief Fund. It has been really, really amazing what you have done for us and you continue to do for us here at King of Kings Network. Um, it's all for now. Uh, stay in touch with us. Keep on following us. And the next episode will come very, very soon with a very interesting topic. I don't tell you anything now, but if you follow us, you will see what it's going to be. Shalom from Jerusalem, and thank you, Pastor Chad. My pleasure. Shalom.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Israelities Podcast. We'd love to hear your questions and comments at podcast at podcast.kkm.network. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram. Shalom from Jerusalem.